welcome back to Paranormal Activities with your host, Ben Axe. Tonight, we are going to continue to talk about the tale of Michael Myers, the tale of the boogeyman. In the previous episode, we discussed how he murdered his sister when he was six years old, how he was kept at Smith's Grove Sanitarium for the next 15 years to be studied by Dr. Loomis, and how on Halloween night in 1978, Michael escaped Smith's Grove Sanitarium went back to Haddonfield and murdered four additional teenagers that night, only to be apprehended by the Haddonfield Sheriff's Office. And before that was over, one more sheriff's deputy was dead for a total of six deaths by Michael Myers, either by his hands or through circumstances. Um, so definitely an interesting story all on its own. You would think that's where it ended, as Michael Myers was apprehended on the evening of 1978, and you'd think he'd be kept in a more secure facility or or more properly kept after or secured. And for the next 40 years, he was. So, you would think that's where the story ends, but unfortunately for the town of Haddonfield, that's where the story just begins um, for a lot, a lot of folks. Uh, so like I mentioned before, like I left off the last episode, Michael was apprehended in 1978. Michael was brought back to Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Smith's Grove did enhance its security measures, and everything seemed to go well. Uh, so after he was shortly after he was apprehended, he had another court hearing in January of 1979, which we discussed a little bit in the, in the last episode. Uh, there, Dr. Loomis said again that Michael needs to be basically executed. There is no reason, no no reason to keep evil alive, per one of his quotes here. But the state did keep Michael alive, uh, primarily to be studied. And think about this, too, why they're studying Michael Myers. In the events of 1978, not only did he kill people in a very cold manner, strangers to him, randomly it appeared, but also he sustained major injuries. Um, he was shot six times by Dr. Loomis. He was stabbed in the chest by Lori Strode. He was stabbed in the eye and the neck by Lori Strode. He fell off a second-story balcony after being shot six times, and he just got up and walked away. Uh, so that in itself needs to be studied when it comes to his physical well-being. Like, how does that even happen? How does a 21-year-old – because, again, think about that. Michael Myers was only 21 – his body wasn't even developed yet. Don't they say that your b body fully develops at the age of 25? At least your brain, something along those lines. I don't know. But still, how does a man get, you know, how does a man get all of those injuries and just walk away? Um, so that's one reason that why we're studying Michael Myers. And then another reason, Michael Myers doesn't speak. He hasn't spoken since 1963, as far as we know, he never talked to any guards. He never spoke to any other inmates. He never spoke to any of his doctors, therapists, whoever. Um, so, you know, how can a man not only do what Michael did, get injured like Michael got injured, and then not speak? Like, that is some very deep psychological things that need, in my opinion, need to be studied. So I kind of agree with Smith's Grove to a point that, you know, we do need to study this guy. But also, we can't let him go, uh, because clearly, as soon as he escapes, he kills. Um, so, but because, you know, of those reasons, 
He was kept at Smith's Grove, where he was studied by Dr. Loomis and by Dr. Wynn, who was the administrator of Smith's Grove, and, and several others. Uh, shortly after Dr. Loomis died in 1995, I think I mentioned this in the past episode as well, uh, but Dr. Rainbow Sartain became Michael's primary doctor. And Dr. Sartain was a student of Dr. Loomis previously and then took over, took over the case of Michael Myers after Loomis uh, passed away. So that leads us for another 40 years. That leads us to 2018. And now, that's a long time. 40 years is a very long time, in my opinion. I'm not even 40 years old yet. Um, so in between that time, you know, not only was Michael Myers studied and kept in this prison, but it also had an effect on Haddonfield itself and even a bigger effect on Laurie Strode. Um, so in this next 40-year time period, Laurie Strode, for whatever reason, stayed in Haddonfield. If this was me, I probably would have moved away. <laughs> you know, if if three of my friends, or at least too much of her and Bob were friends from what I could see, but if, you know, two of my friends were brutally murdered in the house next to me and then I was attacked, those memories not, might, may not be good memories, and there may be a good enough reason to, you know, to bounce Haddonfield, but she did not. Lori stayed in Haddonfield. Uh, it appeared she struggled over her trauma. She was never able to hold down a steady job. She never went to college. Uh, she bounced around from retail jobs to catering businesses to fast food restaurants, just kind of all over the place. Never kept anything steady. Um, by the time 2018 hit, she was twice divorced. And between those, you know, she, so she was divorced two times. And she also had a daughter by the name of Karen. And by the time 2018 had come around, Karen was a grown woman. I don't have her birthday here. I couldn't find, you know, when she was born. I probably could have if I searched harder, but you know how it is. Uh, but by the time 2018 ran around, came around, Karen was married to a Ray Nelson, and they had one daughter by the name of Allison Nelson. Um, so clearly, Lori suffered from PTSD and depression throughout most of her life. She had multiple DUIs and basically just struggled with her with her PTSD with her mental illness, with her mental health, and just couldn't seem to get over her encounter with Michael Myers, which is kind of sad when you think about that. Like, this one encounter, you know, she only met Michael Myers one time. On Halloween night in 1978 was the only night they came face-to-face, -face. and for the next 40 years, that basically drove her life. Which, you know, it is, it's rough dealing with that kind of stuff and that kind of trauma. And it's also sad for Lori, in my opinion, because basically... Her entire life was defined by this one moment, by this one night, you know, at this point in time, 40 years ago. Um, but shortly after Lori's second divorce, she was, she moved to a secluded area and basically became a loner in town. Uh, when Karen was 12, she was removed from Lori's home by Children's Services that she was deemed an unfit mother, and she never did um, get custody back of Karen. So basically after Karen left when she was 12, Lori was pretty much on her own when it came to her everyday, you know, day-by-day -day life, which is, again, kind of sad. Uh, but as Karen grew up, she became a clinical therapist, wanting to help others who suffered and dealt with mental illnesses like, you know, like her mom, which is noble in my opinion. So she learned from her mother's mistakes and wanted to really help those in need, which is, which is pretty nice. But now that leads us back to October 2018. So now 2018 is here. Against Dr. Sartain's wishes, the state is officially done studying Michael Myers. 
Uh, they're kind of cleaning house. They want to empty up Smith's Grove a little bit. They do have more in- incoming patients, and they're running out of room. And it's time to basically clean house, as, as they say. Uh, so, but again, that was against Dr. Sartain's wishes, as he thought that there is more to learn from Michael Myers. The state disagreed, and they're going to go ahead and transport Michael Myers, along with several other patients, to a the Glass Hill Sanitarium which is a maximum security mental institution. Glass Hill does not allow visitors. Glass Hill does not allow guests, nor do they allow outside doctors, outside anybody. Uh, From what I understand, basically, when you're sent to Glass Hill, that's it. You are basically cut off from the outside world, and it's basically just a death sentence where you're just going to go there and rot until you die. That's like the idea behind Glass Hill. It's really meant for the, the hard, hard criminals who can't around anybody um, those who don't get the death sentence due to mental Ill- illnesses or, or whatever reason but they're just basically sent there to to waste away now october 29th 2018 british true crime pos- podcasters aaron corey and dana haynes visit michael myers at smith's grove sanitarium just one day before michael was uh, going to be transported to glass hill Aaron Corey was able to obtain the actual mask, the the same exact mask that Michael wore in Halloween 1978 when he attacked Lori and killed all her friends. He had the exact same mask, hoping to get a reaction, as Michael did not show any reaction to any doctor, to anybody in the last 40 years. He thought that maybe this exact mask that Michael was clearly drawn to in 78, as he wore it during his killings, he thought that might get a reaction from Michael. Uh, so the podcasters met with Dr. Sartain. They went out to the yard and met Michael Myers. Aaron Corey showed the mask to Michael, but Michael did not react. He did not do anything. Uh, according to the, some of the notes that we found from Aaron and uh, Dana, they did mention that a lot of the other inmates reacted. Uh, there seemed to be a presence, like an outside presence, as they said in their notes, that seemed to kind of overwhelm the prison when the mask was shown to Michael, but Michael himself did not move. He didn't react whatsoever. He basically just acted like they weren't even there. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, So whatever that they wanted to unlock using that mask, it seemed at the time to not work. Also, on that same day, the the True Crime Podcasters, Aaron and Dana, also visited Lori Strode. Uh, they just did a cold call to Laurie Strode's house after they visited Michael at the sanitarium, where they actually did get allowed inside. I'm not sure how they pulled that off, as Lori seemed to be very cut off from the rest of society, but they did. They went to her house, they got in, and they had an interview, according to the notes that, that they found at Aaron and Dana's hotel, which, as you hear I'm saying that, you know where I'm going I, You know, at this point. I'm sure most of you know the story of Michael Myers, but... You know, there's only so much research we can do. So yeah, they go to the, they go to Lori's house. They and they try to get Lori to come back with them to Smith's Grove as Michael's getting ready to be transported. This is their last shot to get any kind of reaction from Michael. They really want Michael to talk. Everybody at this point does. Doctor Sartain wants Michael to talk. Aaron and Dana want Michael to talk. Anybody that's ever been around Michael Myers wants to know why Michael Myers did these acts. They want to know what was in his head during this time. And basically, they just, they just want to know why. 
why is Michael Myers such a brutal serial killer when he is out in the open? But Laura refuses. Um, she just says no. She makes him leave. And, and they do, and that's where it ends. And then also, and that's October 29th, it was also later discovered in Aaron and Dana's notes that they also visited Judith, Judith Myers' headstone on Halloween morning in 2018. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So going back just a little bit, October 30th, 2018, 7 p.m., Michael and the other patients were loaded into the transport bus to be shipped over to Glass Hill. And this is the last night that Michael Myers has ever seen at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. I still think it's a great question. I've seen other people ask this exact same question, is why are they always transporting Michael Myers at night? Back in 1978, they transported him at night. In 2018, they are transporting him at night. I don't understand that. Uh, but it is what it is. For whatever reason, Dr. Sartain was also on the bus, according to records. I'm not sure why the doctor himself would be on this transport bus, but he was. He was on the manifest. I don't know why, but again, he was. Apparently, I kind of dug into that a little bit. Like, why would the, Is there any other instances of where the doctor of a patient is, also, is on the transport bus when he's being brought to another facility? that this doctor doesn't have any connection to because Dr. Sartain was employed at Smith's Grove. He wasn't part of Glass Hill at all. But it's rare, and it usually doesn't happen. <laughs> so I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, so at approximately 9 p.m. that same night, there was a 911 call from the 227 mile marker at Marlowe Road inside Warren County, which is the same county that hadn't fueled is located. Deputy Frank Hawkins, remember him? We discussed him in the last episode. He was one of the officers that actually apprehended Michael Myers and the officer that prevented Dr. Loomis from shooting Michael in the head at, at point blank range. He was still, 40 years later, still rolling on patrol. He responded to this call. Upon arrival, Hawkins radioed an officer down call and requested backup. Hawkins discovered the same transport bus that was transporting Michael Myers had crashed, and every guard that was on the bus was dead on arrival. I'm not sure exactly how many guards were there. I want to say three, but I saw I found con contradicting information with that, and that's just where I kind of left it. So I'm not exactly sure how many people were dead on this bus, but I want to say three. And all of them were guards that were, had passed away. However... Hawkins did discover that Dr. Sartain was on the bus, still alive, but had suffered from a gunshot wound. And keep in mind, when Hawkins discovered this bus, he did not know that Michael Myers was on it. Um, a local hunter and his 12-year-old son were also at the scene, both deceased. Um, I don't have his name per the family's wishes. They did not want the son or the, or the father of the son to be in this show. So it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, so a local hunter and his 12-year-old son were both found at the scene dead. The hunter basically had his jaw dislocated, and he had passed, and the 12-year-old was basically strangled to death. Um, also at the scene were two inmate, were multiple inmates from the bus aimlessly walking around the area, all but two. They found out the next day on Halloween, October 31st, 2018, every inmate from the bus was accounted for, 
outside Michael Myers and patient Lance Travoli were the only two patients not found at or near the scene of the bus crash. I do want to kind of bring this up too. It is that a 12-year-old was found dead at the scene. And if Michael Myers, which that's, is who is suspected of killing the 12-year-old, if Michael Myers did in fact kill the 12-year-old, it is the first time that Michael Myers had killed somebody that we know of under the age of 17. Kind of sad, but Michael Myers is more than a human. He is the boogeyman. He is it, according to Dr. Loomis. So, October 31st, 2018, by Halloween morning, Dr. Sartain was put in an induced coma, so he was able to be in a solid state, so he could, he could be provided, uh, he could be provided, if I can speak, the right care, but unfortunately, due to his coma, he was not able to provide a statement yet at this time when they're trying to get everything figured out. If he was awake, they may have been able to get more information, but it is what it is. Sheriff Baker placed an, a, B, an APB on Michael Myers, obviously, at this point in time. Once they realized that Michael Myers was out on the loose, they realized, we got a problem. So the sheriff at the time, Sheriff Baker, Barker, I'm sorry, placed an APB on Michael and basically informed all of the officers that, that were inside Haddonfield in Warren County and all the surrounding counties knew that Michael was on the loose and they keep an eye out. But they did, however, still not release it to the public as they did not want to induce panic as the name of Michael Myers was kind of like a ghost story in the town. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew he murdered his sister. Everybody knew that he murdered teenagers in 1978. And he was still kind of like a living legend in this town. And they did not want to induce panic and let everybody know he was back in town on Halloween. And that's, think about that, that's kind of, kind of wild. Especially if you grew up, you know, if you were young when this, when it happened in 1978, or if you just grew up hearing the stories, you know, your entire life, and then now you're living it. I don't think I'd want to know that. That would scare the hell out of me, especially if I had teenagers. <laughs> um, but at approximately 3 p.m., the sheriff's office received a 911 call from the local gas station slash repair shop in Haddonfield reporting that there were bodies found inside the gas station. Sheriff Barker, Deputy Hawkins, and multiple other officers responded to the call where four bodies were discovered. One mechanic in the shop was found bludgeoned to death in the shop, on the shop floor, and he was stripped down to his underwear. And keep in mind, he's a mechanic. In 1978, we also found another mechanic's body found in his underwear. So it looks like Michael Myers killed this guy and stole his, his coveralls. It seems to be Michael's MO at this point. I'm not sure why he likes that kind of outfit, but it is what it is. And again, it's another guy. I'm unable to disclose the name of this mechanic as they wanted it to be kept out, and that's what I'm doing. Also, another mechanic slash employee of the, of the shop was found dead behind the counter with his jaw broken, and this guy had his teeth removed. So Michael seems to be kind of stepping up the aggression of his kills here. And then, that's two bodies. Finally, the bodies of the British true crime poskers, who I mentioned earlier, Aaron Corey and Dana Haynes, were also found in the women's restroom on the side of the mechanic building, the gas station building. Um, in one stall, a bunch of teeth were found scattered across the floor. And obviously, it's the same set of teeth from the mechanic inside the gas station. Officers searched Aaron's rented vehicle at the scene, 
finding all of their research from their Michael Myers investigation. And that's how I knew a lot of the things that they did after they went to Smith's Grove because they released all of this information from, from Aaron and Dana's research. Everything that is, everything was obtained from their, from their research except for the mask that Aaron had shown Michael Myers two days prior. The same mask that Aaron was able to borrow to show Michael, the same mask that Michael wore in 1978, was not in the vehicle. Also found at the scene was a Bronco that was registered to the hunter who was found deceased at the site of the bus crash. So it looks like these guys rolled up, the hunter and his son rolled up to the crash scene, called 911. Michael then killed both of them and stole their, their Bronco. Lori Strode was also spotted at the murder scene. So Lori overheard it. She showed up, and I'm sure Lori kept kept tabs on Michael Myers, probably knew that she he was being transported that night, that night prior, and probably knew the bus crashed. And clearly now she's also following the blood trail that Michael Myers is now leaving. Because now it's official. Michael Myers is back. Michael Myers is on the wild. And the boogeyman is back in Haddonfield. Something to note. I already mentioned this a little bit ago, but this I can mention this is the first time that Michael killed somebody under the age of 17. Later that evening, Halloween night, later that evening, a 911 call came to the sheriff's office. The caller stated that their that the son of their neighbors, the Morrisseys, had just ran into their house and claimed the boogeyman was attacking his babysitter. His babysitter was named Vicky. Last name request not to be released. So, apparently this kid who was being babysat by a teenager named Vicky ran to the neighbor's house and claimed that the boogeyman was attacking the babysitter. Officer Hawkins immediately responded to the call, along with Lori Strode, who had been listening to the police scanner, basically hunting Michael Myers down. At the scene, they found the babysitter, Vicky, was murdered upstairs. As Hawkins, Hawkins found the body, and apparently the body was covered in a white sheet, and there was a jack-o'-lantern found next to next to the body inside a ga- uh, fish tank. Just like in 1978, Michael liked to set the bodies up, and apparently 40 years later, he's still doing the same thing. And under the sheet was the body of the deceased body of Vicky. Shortly after, of, uh, Lori spotted Michael in the upstairs window. While she was outside, she took a shot at Michael, but missed. Michael then made his way downstairs. Officer Hawkins... Saw Michael leave, approached Michael, took a couple of shots, but in his old fashion, he missed. And also, while downstairs, as he chased Michael downstairs, he found the deceased body of Vicky's boyfriend, Dave, uh, downstairs. Dave had a knife through his neck, and Dave was actually attached to the wall. Must have been a very strong kitchen knife. Uh, But that is some definite anger issues for Michael Myers. He's able to actually... He is so strong, he can take a knife, put it through somebody's throat, and push that knife so hard into the wall through the body that that body will stick to the wall. That's why he was studied for 40 years, because nobody else on this planet can do that. Uh, But it is what it is. As Michael fled the scene, Hawkins missed his shots at Michael, but Michael went outside. Lori then again spotted Michael outside, took the shot at Michael, claiming to strike Michael in the back of his left shoulder. Michael continued to walk and left the scene. As the officers searched the scene and spoke with neighbors, they also found that the body of Gina was found inside her kitchen and she was beaten to death with a hammer. 
Gina did have a newborn baby living in the crib inside the house, but the baby appeared to be unharmed. They also discovered Gina's direct neighbor, I think it was to her right, um, Andrea Wagner, dead in the front room window with a stab wound through her neck, and there was blood found, found all over the window. Now, knowing that Michael wasn't only on the loose, but Michael was back into his killing ways, uh, they believe that Michael would be after Lori as the events appear to be unfolding in a similar fashion from 1978. So Lori believed that Michael was coming from her, and why shouldn't she believe that? I mean, he came for her in 1978, and he didn't even know who she was. So maybe she was, maybe you know he was after Lori Strode for, for some reason. Um, so with that being said, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but in the last 40 years, 40 years, Lori had made herself secluded, and she had basically a a pretty crazy home that we're going to get into here. Uh, but Lori, along with Karen, her daughter Karen, and her Karen's husband Ray, were escorted to Lori's secluded home by Deputy Deputy Richards and Deputy Francis. Uh, local deputies also attempted to find Karen's daughter Allison at the local Halloween dance that was occurring at the Haddonfield High School, but both Allison or her boyfriend Cameron Elam were able to be located. The dance was also shut down early, and everyone was ordered to go home as... Michael Myers is on the loose. I'm not sure if they actually said that's why they closed down the dance. They didn't want to induce panic. They did close it and say everyone needs to go home immediately. It was later revealed that Lori had been working on her home and had a secret basement located inside her house, and this is why the officers believed the, families, the, Lori's, the family would be safer at Lori's home rather than at Ray or Cairns or even rather than the police station. I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like you know maybe if, if we thought there was a killer coming after a certain individual, the police station may be a better a better bet than, you know, a house in the middle of the country, but what do I know? All right, so later that evening, a 911 call was made to the sheriff's office. The caller stated that a teenage girl, later to be revealed as Allison, was frantically banging on their door, claiming Michael Myers had just murdered her friend, Oscar Berlucci. Officers responded, finding 17-year-old Oscar Berlucci hanging on the gate of a nearby property. Oscar's head was pushed through one of the poles on the gate, and he had multiple stab wounds in his back. That's rough. <laughs> um, so now, Allison, Lori's granddaughter, Lori Strode's granddaughter, has now experiencing the same trauma that Lori experienced. You know, Lori saw her friends murdered, and now her granddaughter, Allison, saw her her friend brutally murdered right after it occurred and also had a face-to-face with Michael Myers. She claimed that he was standing there at the gate next to Oscar's dead body when she, when she ran. Now, at this point in the night, Dr. Sartain had awoke from his coma, and Sheriff Barker ordered Hawkins to bring Sartain with him to hunt down Michaels, thinking that Sartain would be able to know what Michael was thinking or what Michael was doing. So at this time, Hawkins and Sartain picked up Allison from the location of the 911 call to bring her back to Lori's house as well. Uh, while driving, they spotted Michael Myers walking down the street. So at this point, basically, Hawkins is done. So think about this, too. We have Deputy Hawkins, we have Dr. Sartain in the front seat of the sheriff's off deputy's car, and then we have Allison sitting in the back of this car. And as they're driving... They spot Michael Myers walking down the street. So I'm thinking, let's say they apprehend Michael Myers. Where are we going to put him? We can't put him in the, in the back seat with Allison. <laughs> but I'm guessing they probably would just call somebody else and have him 
have him brought in another way. But whatever, it doesn't matter because at this point, as they see Michael walking, instead of stopping the vehicle and trying to apprehend Michael Myers, Deputy Hawkins, who was just done at this point, drives directly into Michael Myers, basically running him over with his vehicle. And then, so now, Michael Myers is down, and he is unconscious at this point after being hit with the sheriff's deputy's vehicle. Now, what happens next is insane, but it was validated by both Hawkins and Allison. They both, both of their stories are identical. And so as Hawkins approaches Michael Myers, basically wanting to shoot him in the head at point-blank range, something that he prevented Dr. Loomis from doing, but now realizes that needs to be done. He realizes he needs to kill it. He needs to kill Michael Myers. As he goes to shoot, Dr. Sartain gets in the way, preventing Dr. Loomis from shooting Michael. I'm sorry, not Dr. Loomis. Preventing Sheriff Hawkins from shooting Michael, and then turns around and with some kind of tool, I'm not exactly sure what he had, if it was a pocket knife or what he used to stab Hawkins, but Sartain turns around, stabs Hawkins in the neck, knocking Hawkins down, and then stabs him several more times. At this point, obviously Hawkins is down, and Sartain then puts the unconscious Michael Myers back into, into the back of the police car with Allison. Allison also mentioned here that when Dr. Sartain arose, he was actually wearing Michael Myers' mask, and then he threw the maskless Michael into the back of the car seat and then threw the mask back on top of Michael Myers. Not sure what that's about, but it seemed that Dr. Sartain did have a weird obsession with Michael Myers, and it kind of escalated. And then Allison explained later that Dr. Sartain was then going to bring Michael Michael Myers to Lori's house because it was his obsession, and he was the one who wanted to see Michael and Lori interact again 40 years later in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So it seems like maybe Michael Myers isn't obsessed with Lori Strode like Lori believes, and really it was more Dr. Sartain who was more obsessed with this whole storyline, this whole Michael obsession thing than, than, than Michael really was. Uh, but whatever, whatever Dr. Sartain's obsession was, it didn't last long um, because shortly after this happened, on the way to Lori's house, Allison convinced Dr. Sartain to stop the vehicle, claiming that Michael spoke to her, which she later admitted was a lie, but she knew that that would make Dr. Sartain stop the car as he was obsessed enough, enough to want Michael to have spoken, so he wanted to know what Michael said. So she convinced him to stop the car. At this point, Michael woke up, put his mask back on, and then he kicked Dr. Sartain's seat forward from the back, basically smushing or smashing Sartain into the steering wheel, and then was able to get out of the vehicle, open Sartain's car door, threw Sartain out. At this time, Allison was able to escape through the open door and run into the woods towards um, her grandmother, Lori Strode's house. Now, at this point, obviously... Michael Myers killed Dr. Sartain. His body was later found with his head completely smashed in. Um, but this basically is the beginning of the boogeyman versus Laurie Strode. As the car had stopped, the police car had just stopped not far from Laurie's house. Um, and this is where it starts. So at this point in time, Laurie, Karen, and Ray were all waiting inside Laurie's house, armed with guns provided by Laurie. 
a police car pulled up and Ray apparently went out to check in with them, not know, you know, seeing if they had found Allison or whatever. At this point in time, Lori and Karen heard a gunshot. Lori looked out and saw that Michael Myers was standing over Ray's apparently dead body and was also now looking back at Lori. And so this was the first time that Lori and Michael had locked eyes since 1978. Lori then instructed Karen to get into the basement, which had a hidden entrance as the kitchen bar was a remotely controlled bar and it covered the entrance of the basement. So basically, she set up this house, it looks like, to be ready for another encounter with Michael Myers, which is a very long 40-year obsession with one man. But it's a pretty badass house, I have to admit. So now, as Lori looked out the front door, Michael is now there. Michael grabbed Lori by breaking through the glass perimeters of the door, like her door was set up with glass on both sides, which is exactly why I hate those houses. My front door is a very solid door. I will never have a house that has windows or glass that can break through and unlock the door that way. Can't have it in my house. (laughs) But as Michael was grabbing Lori, Lori then was able to lift up her shotgun and she shot Michael's left hand with her gun, literally shooting off a few fingers of Michael Myers, forcing him to release Lori. Michael then was able to get into Lori's house after, however, Lori had already made her way back into the basement and covered the door. Lori and Karen could now hear Michael Myers walking around through the floorboards, and for whatever reason, it was noted that Lori shot a few times through the floor at Michael where she thought he might be. After a few minutes, they could no longer hear Michael so Lori left the basement and was basically hunting Michael in her own house Lori made her way upstairs where she later claimed she found Ray's dead body laying inside one of her closets again Michael is setting up bodies while going through one of the upstairs bedrooms Michael attacked Lori stabbing Lori in the stomach with her own buck knife and tossing Lori out of the upstairs bedroom very similar to how Michael fell in, in 1978 Now, at this time, Allison also made her way back to Lori's house and went in the front door, and Karen could hear Allison yelling yelling for them. So Karen opened the basement entrance, got Allison, and then made her way back to the basement. At this time, Michael came downstairs. Apparently, he probably also heard, heard Allison screaming. And then, at this point, realized the kitchen bar was covering the basement entrance, and he was Using his Michael Myers, the boogeyman's strength, he was able to push the bar down with his bare hands, basically opening the basement entrance. Um, At this point, Karen then shot Michael in the face with one of her rifles. Um, You know, that's another injury sustained. So at this point, he had his finger shot off, and now it's claimed that he was shot in the face with a rifle. After he was shot, Lori popped out. She was injured, but she's still fighting. And apparently she hit Michael in the back of the head with a cast iron pan, knocking Michael down into the basement. Allison and Karen were then able to escape up the ladder and get back into the kitchen. Lori then apparently also had this house rigged with traps. And once the girls got out of the basement, Lori was able to trap Michael in the basement with some kind of, I'm not sure exactly what she had. She mentions what it is, some kind of bars that were triggered. And they basically cover the basement entrance. So Michael is now trapped in the basement. There's no other way in or out. Lori then, I'm not sure this is the wisest decision, but Lori then catches her entire house on fire with the goal of burning Michael alive in the basement. She had it rigged to where every room in this house could be locked down 
So no matter what room Michael was in, she could lock that room up and Michael was trapped. And then she had it rigged that every room in this house will catch on fire when she sets this gas off. Hardcore. <laughs> Do not fuck with Lori Strode is what I'm getting at. So now, yeah, so she just catches her entire house on fire, hoping to now have Michael burn alive in the basement. Now remember, she is injured. She was stabbed in the stomach with a bug knife just a few minutes ago. So now Lori, Karen, and Allison all run to the road where they hitch a ride to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. Now, to kind of recap here, because this is kind, you'd think this would be enough. You'd think this would be enough to kill Michael Myers. So now just tonight alone, not including the injuries sustained back in 1978, tonight in 2018 on Halloween night, Michael was shot in the left shoulder via handgun model, I'm not sure, he had multiple fingers shot off point blank from a fucking shotgun. He was shot in the right side of his face via a rifle. And he was pushed down a flight of stairs and landed in the basement. And then, after all of this, he was trapped in this basement, which was caught in a very large fire, a very large gas fire where every room ignited. Um, so you'd think this would be the end of Michael Myers. But... Unfortunately, the boogeyman doesn't die like a normal man. And this isn't even over. This is just the beginning of this night. You think this is where the night would end? You think Michael Burns alive? But no. The boogeyman continues to kill. Um, while Lori and Karen and Allison were on their way to the hospital, a 911 call came through stating there was a house completely engulfed in flames, which is obviously the Strode house. Keep in mind, these three did not call that in, but clearly a neighbor or somebody saw the fire and called it in. Um, so now, 10, firefi 10 firefighters from the Haddonfield Fire Department respond to the call. Shortly, shortly after their arrival at the scene, there was a mayday call. Like As soon as the first couple of firefighters went in, there was a mayday call. Over the radio, one of the firefighters was heard to say, and I quote, The fuck is that? And that was the last radio transmission from the squad. They heard, the fuck is that? And then the radio went dead. Uh, when more first responders arrived on scene, eight firefighters were found dead at the scene in front of the house. So they responded, they came to the house, they saw eight dead firefighters. Two more were later found in the basement once the fire was eventually put out. The bodies were burned so badly they weren't even able to be identified right away, and the, they weren't even sure how they died right away. Later, they found that one had been stabbed in the face uh, with some kind of tool, uh, but the bodies were just burnt, to, burnt terribly. And so it looks like Michael Myers literally killed 10 firefighters, eight in the yard, two in the house. What the fuck? Also at the scene... Deputy Richards and Deputy Francis, who, if you remember, were they brought Lori and her family to her house and were posted outside. Deputy Richards and Deputy Francis were found brutally murdered inside their squad car. Um, it's basically disembodied, head cut off. It was crazy. Um, yeah, so they responded to Lori Strode's fire, and Michael kills 10 firefighters. He killed two cops already. Um, it's... More than likely that the cops were killed before the fire. It looks like they were probably already dead when, at the same time, Ray was killed. But yeah, pretty wild. And at this point, 
moving forward for the rest of this evening, it's unclear how the events unfolded. Of a basic, basically, there was just a path of death through Haddonfield. And so it's everything, like I said, it's not exactly clear how everything went down, but here's the best that I could put it together to make it make sense in kind of a storytelling way. Uh, but later, Lori's neighbors, Phil and Sandra Dickerson, were found inside their home. Phil was brutally murdered with four knives sticking into his back while he was put up against like the kitchen median. They found his body just laying on the median front first and four knives sticking out of his back like a pincushion, among other injuries. He was also beaten pretty badly, it looked like. Uh, Sandra had a fluorescent light bulb shoved through her neck. However, Sandra miraculously survived the attack but had severe nerve damage and lost motor skills and sadly was not able to walk or speak again uh, up to this day. While walking home from the dance, a Dylan Elam, who was Allison's boyfriend, did find Deputy Hawkins unresponsive on the ground and obviously called 911. Good news, Hawkins did survive the attack by Dr. Sartain and was transported to Haddonfield Memorial. While Lori was at the hospital, the town had heard now, but at this point it was now known, it was let loose by the news that Michael Myers was on the loose and was currently on a killing spree. And we can no longer kind of keep this quiet which unfortunately did cause a panic throughout the town. So now the town knows that Michael Myers is back, the boogeyman is on the loose, and he's actively killing people in Haddonfield. Lori and Karen thought Michael would be coming to the hospital to attack Lori. Uh, at this point, they still think that Michael Myers is after Lori, which she may have been. I don't know. I'm not sure what Michael was thinking. But because of this, because of this thought, the sheriff's office put the hospital on lockdown, whatever the fuck that means, uh, but they did secure the perimeter of the hospital and made sure that nobody was coming in or out without who they knew, you know, without being seen or known. All right, and now meanwhile, as all this is going on, at the local mix bar and carryout, we have Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace. Remember those two? Those are the same two people that Lori was babysitting back in 1978 when Michael Myers attacked for the first time. So Tommy Doyle, Lindsey Wallace, along with their friend Lonnie Elam, who also had an encounter with Michael Myers back in 78, and along with uh, Dr. Loomis's former um, partner, Marion Chambers, Nurse Marion Chambers, who, if you remember, was also a type of Michael Myers his first night of being let loose. Actually, she was there when Michael escaped. Um, so all of these guys are together. They're still in Haddonfield, and every year they go to Mixed Byron Carry out in Haddonfield, as kind of like a celebration of being alive as the anniversary of Halloween. So they're all this bar, and apparently there's a talent show going on. I'm not sure why there's a, t a talent show going on on Halloween night, but it is what it is. And so these characters, along with Marcus and Vanessa, last name requested not to be released by the family, but Marcus and Vanessa are a married couple. They're all at this bar together hanging out. And according to the bar owner, Mick, uh, Michael Myers stole a car that was outside in the parking lot. I think he said it was Marcus and Vanessa's car. Apparently, Michael Myers stole their car and took off and crashed it. So now, Tommy Doyle, Lindsey Wallace, Lonnie Elam, Marion Chambers, and Marcus and Vanessa have all spotted Michael Myers, and now everybody knows he's out in the loose. And it seems that Tommy Doyle has kind of a chip on his shoulder from Michael. 
he was kind of like Lori from what I could kind of read up on him and statements from his friends and family and whoever else I kind of talked about Tommy. He kind of had a grudge. Like he felt helpless back in 78 and he always wanted to be the one to kind of, kind of take Michael Myers out. He never got over it either. Not as bad as Lori it appeared, but he also never really got over it. Um, but at the same time, right before Michael actually was spotted at the bar and, and stole the car, Lonnie received a phone call from Cameron saying that Cameron was in trouble. And so it's, you know, it's learned that Cameron was the one who found Deputy Hawkins and Lonnie went to go pick him up. Now they all go to the hospital as, you know, Hawkins is there. At this point in time, Cameron learns that Michael Myers is on the loose. He goes to the hospital looking for Allison, finds Allison, and then it is kind of seen. It's basically, at this point in time, the mob mentality takes over. Tommy Doyle, along with a few others, basically are putting together a team to go out and, and find Michael Myers themselves. Uh, there's apparently an, inter- an interaction between Tommy Doyle and Sheriff Barker inside the hospital. And basically, Tommy says, you guys are done. You failed at your jobs. Now we're going to take over as this is our town. And they go out to find Michael Myers. And it's even quoted. This is very, very silly. But it's even in the newspaper that I saw. They are even quoted saying that evil dies tonight. <laughs> so take that for what you will. Um, but so now they, they split into two different teams. We have apparently Allison, Cameron, and Lonnie kind of go out together. Tommy kind of goes out on his own looking for Michael. And then apparently uh, Lindsay Wallace along with, um, if I can remember all these names correctly, Lindsay Wallace along with Marion Chambers and Marcus and Vanessa get in the same car together as well to go out and look for Michael Myers. And their plan is to find him. Once we find him, call me, call me, you know, call them, and they'll all get together and basically, I guess, kill Michael Myers, kill the boogeyman is their goal here. So according to Lindsay... Uh, they they pulled up to a park and they found a couple of kids, two kids playing on the swing set. Lindsay gets out of the car to go approach the children and the other three, Marion, Marcus, and Vanessa, stay in the vehicle. Um, at this point, she talks to the kids. They say they're waiting for their friend and they she turns around and she sees Michael standing by the car. Apparently the kids said they saw the, the guy staring at him. She turns she sees Michael standing there holding a mask, a bloody mask, I should say, bloody skull mask. Um, Lindsay then tells the other two children to run away and to go home. And then at this point, Lindsay picks up a bag and starts filling the bag with rocks <laughs> to basically defend herself against Michael Myers or to attack Michael Myers. At this time, Michael jumps on the roof of the car, which had Marion Chambers in the front seat, Marcus and Vanessa in the back seat. Um, according to Lindsay... Michael murdered all three of them. Apparently, um, he, he murders them all, <laughs> and their, their bodies are found later. Um, but after he attacks the car and kills those three, Michael, Lindsay attacks Michael with a bag of rocks, but Michael grabs her. Lindsay then rips Michael's mask off him, just like Lori did back in 78, and then she runs, and she actually hides from Michael while under a bridge. Um, shortly after... Tommy and the rest of the crew, Tommy, Lonnie, and, and Allison, and Dylan, find the bodies. They find, at the park, they find Marion, Marcus, and Vanessa were all found displayed. They all three had a different Halloween mask displayed over their heads. 
Marcus and Vanessa were found on the merry-go-round in the park. Again, Michael likes to set things up. Uh, Marcus had a knife wound through his eye. Um, I'm not sure what eye it was. I believe I remember reading that. I forget what eye it was, but basically he had a big knife wound going through one of his eyes. Vanessa had a gunshot wound through her face. I've never heard of Michael Myers using a gun, and neither has anybody else. All of his victims appear to be you know, stabbed in a certain way or, or just beat in a certain way. So they do believe that this is a self-inflicted self gunshot, as they did run prints on the gun, and only her prints were found at this time. And also the prints of her husband were on there as well. They did not find any fingerprints of Michael Myers on this gun. I believe it was self-inflicted, but maybe Michael Myers did shoot her. Who knows? And then also Marion was found hung up on the swimming set with several stab wounds to, to her torso. All three of which, all three of these victims were displayed with a mask over their head in a certain way. What is the deal with Michael Myers and displaying dead bodies? It's crazy. Um, but now, the mob mentality does take over at the hospital and throughout the town. They had in field, at Haddonfield Memorial, Smith's Grove patient, Lance Tavoli, the other patient who was not found at the scene of the bus crash, uh, shows up to the hospital, still wearing his patient gown from Smith's Grove. Um, but because of this mob mentality, Tavoli is quickly mistaken for Michael Myers, and the crowd basically attacks him. Uh, Sheriff Barker and others try to convince them that that's not Michael Myers, because clearly it's not Michael Myers. But with mob mentality, you can't really stop it. They chase Tavoli upstairs, and Tavoli eventually, due to fear, I'm sure, of this mob, jumps out the window and falls to his death. Uh, this death, the investigation was held because a man did die at this hospital. Uh, Michael wasn't there, uh, but they did rule it as no one was responsible for his death, basically. No one was held responsible for his, his jump. Which, you know, who are you going to hold responsible? There's so many people there. I think they just kind of, you know, it's another victim of Michael Myers, another indirect victim of Michael Myers. Um, But now... Now the boogeyman goes home, just like in 1978, you know, how they found Michael Myers inside his house. Now, in 2018, the same thing. <laughs> while, while they're out searching, Lonnie, Allison, and Cameron assume that Michael may have went home. Apparently, Lonnie told Allison that he put kind of a map together and was kind of trailing the kills, the reported kills so far, of Michael's trail and he believes that Michael was going to his home at 45 Lincoln Lane. So they pull up to the house. Why they didn't call the police? Why they didn't call for additional backup? Why they didn't call Tommy Doyle? I do not know. Uh, but they go in. Lonnie goes into the house by himself, making sure that Allison and Cameron stay put inside the car. Uh, shortly after Lonnie enters the house, they hear a gunshot. At this point, Allison and Cameron go into the house. Allison discovers the current homeowners of the house, married couple John and John Soto. They're both named John, married couple both by the name of John. Apparently around town, they were known as Big John and Little John. Uh, but Allison found the both bodies of these two murdered in their bedroom. Um, at this point, it's, it's kind of unclear what was going on, uh, but at this point, Michael does attack Cameron in the upstairs hallway, stabbing him several times. Allison attacked Michael. Michael grabbed her gun and threw it. Allison then stabs Michael, claiming to have stabbed Michael in the stomach. But Michael did not appear to respond to the stabbing, did not flinch at all, according to Allison. 
and basically just threw Allison down the stairs, uh, breaking her leg. Michael then continues to attack Cameron and puts Cameron through the banister that lines up that lines the upstairs the upstairs staircase. Basically, according to Allison and according to the damage at the scene, throws Cameron's head through the banister and then shoves his head down into it, and then also breaks Cameron's neck. Um, so now at this point in time, Michael heads down the staircase to attack Allison, breaks Cameron's neck in the process, and as he goes to attack Allison, Allison's mother Karen arrives uh, from the hospital and stabs Michael in the back with a pitchfork that was actually a prop on the front porch as a Halloween decoration. So good for Big and Little John having that because it was actually very useful against Michael Myers. Um, but so she's, Al, uh, I'm sorry, Karen stabs Michael in the back with a pitchfork and then apparently takes Michael's mask off of him and walks, runs away with it. Michael then gets up. I'm not sure how he gets up from being stabbed in the back with a pitchfork. Just add that to the list of injuries. But Michael gets up and then follows Karen going after his mask, apparently, leaving Allison alive inside his old house. Now, at this point, it was discovered that Tommy, Karen, former Sheriff Lee Brackett, who at this point in time was actually a security officer. He had retired from the sheriff's office and worked security at the hospital. So remember, his daughter, Amy, was one of the victims from 1978. So Tommy, Karen, former Sheriff Lee Brackett, along with several other of the town people, had actually gotten together at the hospital and made a plan. And this was part of the plan, apparently. And so actually Karen is leading Michael to these, this group of town folk. Uh, Karen leaves the mask, Michael's mask, in the middle of the street. As Michael approaches his mask to retrieve it, the town people surround Michael with their vehicles, basically surrounding him in the street so he has nowhere to go. And at this point, they just get together. They all have a, multiple weapons. Uh, a couple, there's a couple of guns involved. Uh, I'm sure, I don't even know baseball bats and a wooden, I think I saw some 3 by 4s in the pictures. Uh, all kinds of weapons. I think I even saw one lady with a, with a, with a clothes iron at one point in time, according to some of the pictures that were on Facebook that were later taken down. But you surely got a hold of them. Uh, but yeah, basically all kinds of weapons <laughs> involved. It was reported that Michael Myers was actually shot multiple times in the chest at point-blank range by one of the townspeople, and he was beaten to death. Not to death, but he was beaten very badly at this scene. It was also reported that after he was down, uh, laying face down in the stomach with his mask on, but he was shot several times at this point and beaten pretty badly, Karen actually took his knife and stabbed him in the neck while he was face down in the street. At this point, Karen goes back to Michael Myers' childhood home to be with Allison. And then also at the, at the scene at the house, back at Michael Myers' house, his old house, Karen tells responders what had just went down, where to find Michael Myers' body, thinking that he's dead now. However, when responders made their way to the scene where they thought Michael Myers was beaten and shot to death, Michael wasn't there. Uh, but instead, there were several bodies found butchered in the street. A few ran, which is why we know what we know about you know, the beating of Michael Myers. We know that he was shot several times. We know that he was stabbed by Karen. And we know that he got up after all of this and unfortunately killed a lot of the townspeople. So Michael Myers got up apparently after Karen had left. Michael Myers got up. They found former Sheriff Lee Brackett dead with a slit throat. So 
Michael Myers killed Annie Brackett back in 78 and then killed her dad in 2018. And they also found Tommy Doyle dead, beaten with a... He had blunt force trauma to his head, and he also had a broken baseball bat sticking out of his body on the ground. But like I mentioned before, before all of this, Karen had actually left the scene and went back to the old Michael Myers house to be with Allison. As Allison was receiving medical care, for some reason, Karen made her way up the staircase to, I'm not sure, to investigate the house. I don't really know. Allison mentioned that as she was sitting there, she looked back and saw Karen going up the stairs, and Karen seemed to be in kind of like a, a trance, she said. Um, but shortly after she made her way upstairs, they, Allison and everybody else downstairs heard Karen screaming. As the paramedics made their way upstairs, they found Karen's lifeless body on the floor of the same room of Michael Myers' older sister, Judith. So they found, unfortunately, Karen's lifeless body on the floor in Judith's old bedroom in the same spot that Judith was, Judith was killed back in 1963. Uh, Michael Myers was not there, just, just the body of Karen, and his body was also never recovered. This is it. This is the last time Michael Myers was ever seen. The last known sighting of Michael Myers was on the street as Michael was butchering the townspeople. Some people ran, and they're the last people to have seen Michael alive. Well, clearly Karen was, I guess, but she's she's dead now. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Michael Myers killed Karen in the old bedroom of Judith and then bounced, apparently. In total, before, in total, from 1963 to the end of Halloween night 2018, Michael Myers had killed 55 people. Seemingly, none of these involved guns. Uh, they're, you know, they're that one is in question uh, from the person earlier at the park. But no guns have been used, primarily knives, primarily beatings. Pretty crazy. Um, and the fact that Michael Myers, this is four years. As of the date of this recording, we are three October 28th, 2022. Michael Myers has not been seen. He hasn't been heard from. His body has not been recovered. Um, and this is after a murdering spree in total, leaving 55 people dead. Since Halloween night, the Halloween night massacre of 2018, Haddonfield has, Haddonfield has been full of despair. The population has decreased every year as more people are moving out and less are moving in. The suicide rate has gone up. Overdoses have gone up. DUIs have gone up. Any kind of stuff, if I can talk, substance abuse has gone up, unfortunately. Um, the town has not yet seemed to recover. According to local property records, Lori Strode and Allison actually do live together in a house inside Haddonfield. Um, realizing that Michael's that Michael habitually always goes to his house. Back in 78, he went to his, his old house that he grew up in. And then in 2018, he went back to the same house. So because of this, they actually demolished the, the Myers house. So his childhood home where he killed Judith and Karen and where the officer also died, unfortunately, is no longer there. It's just, it's just gone. It's a field down. I actually looked at it on Google Maps and it's just, it's just a field. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, and that's that's it. Um, and also one thing to, to I want to kind of bring this up too. I wanted to bring up the last episode, but I didn't. But the owner of the Wallace House also um, were were 
Michael had his first killing spree. That house is still there, but it was remodeled in the 1990s as they basically wanted to deter people, like whore, murder-obsessed people, like myself. They want to deter people from you know viewing the going to the house to check it out. So they actually remodeled the entire house and looks completely different. Pretty pretty wild. Um, but over the years, because of this, I mean, over these past four years and then even the previous forty years before twenty eighteen, there all there are all kinds of rumors spreading around. There are all kinds of speculation about Michael Myers. What's going on? Um, and some of these rumors are pretty wild, actually. Um, some say he was part. Michael Myers was part of a failed military experiment where they actually tried to make him an assassin, but they couldn't control him. That's one theory. Others claimed that the military actually did capture Michael that night in 2018, and instead of you know executing him or putting him in another prison, they sent him to space, as they don't believe they there's any prison on Earth that can contain Michael Myers, including Glass Hill apparently. So they sent him to space in some kind of capsule. To, to die in space. I'm not sure I believe in that one. Some believe that Laurie Strode is actually the long-lost sister of Michael Myers, and Michael Myers, for whatever reason, is attempting to kill his bloodline. I mean, whether it's for occults, whether it's for personal reasons, I don't know, but that is one theory. Um, one person even claimed that they spotted Michael Myers teaching at a secluded private high school somewhere in Northern California. So did Michael leave Haddonfield in 2018 and thought, eh, my killing's done. Let's go teach. I don't believe that. Uh, but, you know, maybe. What do we know? We do know that Michael is not Lori's brother. That has been debunked. Lori's very adamant about that. Um, but at the end of the day, rumors aside, nobody really knows where Michael went. He can't go home. The home's not there. There is no basement. I mean, there was rumors that Michael was living in the, in the sewer under his old house, but there's been no, no signs of that. So really, nobody knows where Michael Myers is. Um, why does he kill? Why does he wear a mask when he kills? What is his deal? With the injuries Michael sustained during the massacre of 2018, did he crawl into a sewer somewhere and die? And just his body wasn't found? Did it decompose? Or can evil ever really die? Is the boogeyman still out there? somewhere waiting watching waiting for that silent alarm to trigger in his mind for one last scare who knows all i know is that in three days it's going to be halloween in haddonfield i'm sure the town is triggered um, but hopefully everybody in haddonfield and outside of haddonfield because who knows where michael myers is but hopefully everybody stays safe and stays clear of the boogeyman. <laughs>